Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. This is uh, this is the re-release of a podcast we did five years ago for Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Uh, we're recording this shotgun style. We just got done with our last drunken lunch of the season. It was the most drunken one. And we're just we're winging this intro because we're trying to get out of here for Christmas vacation. Uh, this was a community commission, uh, almost a dozen bald movers. Uh, you know, some of them we haven't seen in a long time. Some of them are still uh, loyal members uh, came together to commission this podcast. Uh, and it was an incredible film. I, I'm reading here the description. It says uh, the movie is incredible. The acting is on another level. The visuals are gorgeous. The story eminently watchable. If you've seen this one, you know how incredibly intimidating drinking milkshakes can be. And if you haven't, you'll soon find out. Um, I I think this movie might have been the thing that kind of started my modern Paul Thomas Anderson kick. Yeah, we just covered Boogie Nights, which gave me kind of a new appreciation for Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Uh, seeing one of his earliest and then and then thinking about this movie and, and what, what is a, perhaps his best. And the, the gulf in subject matter between this one and that yeah. one. Uh, this is a truly great film. Uh, I meant to watch this again. I think I'm going to try to spend some time over the Christmas break to, to watch it again um, because, oh, my God, it's just it's an amazing film to look at, uh, to look at, to listen to, to think about. Uh, it's been f over five years since we've released it. So I know a lot of, you know, we've gotten a lot of new fans in the last five years. It's not on Patreon, which is it's not on Patreon, which is another one to kind of like get this back into the Patreon uh, feed. Um, and I, I remember this being really good. It's a, it's a 90 minute long one. It's a Daniel Day Lewis mm -hmm. scratching a lot of itches here. You got the uh, you got the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson itch. You got the Daniel Day Lewis itch. Uh, who's who's his son? Paul Dano. Paul Dano. This is the first one that I kind of sat up and paid attention yeah. to Paul fucking Dano. He's incredible in this movie. Yeah. And since I've seen him in other things and I think, yeah, he's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. So uh, we just, like I said, wanted to kind of dust this off and uh, make sure people appreciated it, uh, saw it for its 15th anniversary. Uh, my God, I'm getting old. It just feels like this. It feels like this movie, like the, I drink. You remember when I drink your milkshake was was a huge fucking uh -huh. before even memes were a thing. Uh, this was a thing. Um, and uh, it's a great movie. I'm very excited to hear you guys uh, listen to it. So without further ado, here is our original thoughts on Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, There Will Be Blood. Hey everybody, welcome back to another commission podcast. Uh, this is a community commission for Paul Thomas Anderson's 2007 There Will Be Blood. Uh, as you would expect from a community commission, this is where many commissioners get together and buy $10 shares to make the movie happen. There's a whole bunch of people to thank, and this is no exception, so I will uh, credit everybody, and then later in the podcast we'll get to their feedback. Um, so thanks for making this happen. Alina V, Ryan Q, Mike M, who apparently, judging by his screen name, is a CPA. Uh, Britt Bandicoot, D Kane sixty eight, Dean Kane, Dean Kane. When was Dean Kane born? That sounds suspiciously correct. I, I feel like I would believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say Superman is a There Will Be Blood fan. All right, didn't see that coming. Uh, Leighton K, the William eighty five, Jamie T, Alex M. Gerald uh, de Lacquier, mm. DM Calls, and D Plowery. Uh, 
were the ones that uh, did all banded together, uh, ten bucks at a time, to get this uh, podcast commission. So thanks to everyone. Yeah. Uh, however many shares you bought uh, for getting this this movie done. All right. So we got the uh, the, the business out of the way up front. Um, this movie sta- uh, is directed and written by Paul Thomas Anderson, based on the novel Oil by Upton Sinclair which is written back in the 20s as a kind of social commentary about, um, I don't know, robber baronism, I'm, I'm guessing, because I haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano, and Dylan Frazier as Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, son. Hmm. Um, and the music, which I thought was fantastic, was composed by Johnny Greenwood, who is the lead guitarist and keyboardist of the alternate rock band Radiohead. Okay, and I guess PTA Paul Thomas Anderson actually recruited him because he was such a big fan of of their music and thought he and he found out that he is like this guy plays like two dozen instruments including violin and orchestral stuff and sure um, I thought that this the the music actually added a lot to this um, it was very like a horror movie in, in the vein yeah. of almost like The Shining yeah and it, it, it at times almost seems like out of phase with what's happening on the screen but yeah. it's but it's intentional and you can see that they are trying to create this foreboding atmosphere kind of press these sort of mundane events into the this foreboding mold right in fact if you go with the the shining theme further this is kind of about a man who may or may not have ever loved his son but his his uh being infected by this demon of greed and oil and you can mm-hmm. substitute the oil for blood the blood for oil and then he turns and just savages the kid at the end of the movie mm-hmm. um obviously spoilers Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, and I was in that group of I have never seen this movie before, uh, please stop what you're doing and watch it. This is a very decorated and um, uh, highly regarded film for good reason, because let's talk about what we thought before we go on. Um, what did you think of this film? Uh, I think this is a landmark performance for Daniel Day-Lewis, like in cinematic history like mm-hmm. not even saying this is some of his best work i think this is some of the best work i've ever seen yeah it's insane uh, yeah like how um and that's the interesting thing about um daniel day lewis is he's very gold gary oldman or maybe gary oldman is like an imitation of him uh within minutes of seeing him in a film you forget that it's daniel day lewis and it's like yeah. oh it's abraham lincoln oh it's this mm-hmm. uh you know mo half mohican scout it's uh, he just completely inhabits this role and the way his voice worked yeah um it sounded like almost like he was like like dubbed you know yeah i guess he's he's intentionally invoking this guy named john huston john houston i don't i don't know how to yeah i heard that i don't know who it is uh i've probably seen him around but i think he's related to the like angelica Houston and oh really um, okay who's the guy from Boardwalk Empire God damn it I can never remember that guy's name Steve Buscemi nope nope <laughs> it's the other Houston guy that played the half the guy had half of his face blown off in World War One oh right right uh, he's also a Houston I think it's he's from that that family okay. but yeah I'm not familiar with his work but my God the guy's got a distinctive voice obviously yeah so I I mean I I look at that performance and I say wow this is amazing this is worth watching the movie all in all on its own sure. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie, so I feel like I don't have a great grasp on the larger picture of what it's trying to do. Because to me, it feels, and this isn't a huge knock against it, but it feels like it's just 
a story of an oil man. It's not trying to do anything larger than that. It's just a fable. Would you say um, that as a criticism? Because you could it, say a very, very minor one. Because I would say the same of like the Godfather. I was about to ask because I uh, I got Godfather vibes where I feel like I can probably see this movie a dozen more times and not get bored with it. I don't know. I mean, some of the some parts I was I was starting to look at my watch. I was really? starting to be like, okay, let's move this along just a bit. See, I I felt in the same way that like um, when I'm watching some of these frames in Godfather and they're just so long, it's almost torture, but in a good way. Right. I felt the same way, like looking at the. Uh, an oil derrick on fire for example or watching him try to comfort his child after he's lost his hearing um some of these some of these shots are even him in the beginning where like did you realize there's 15 minutes this fucking movie that elapsed before a single word is said yeah um yeah. i actually i did and i was actually I like, aware and i started looking <laughs> like not in a bad way but but I want someone to speak here. That's that's the thing, and it, it had this 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 tension. And I I, I like I said I, I think I mean I could be wrong, but I feel like this is the kind of film that you could watch a bunch of times and be rewarded for it. Maybe, and I, I don't think this kind of movie is for everyone. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be intensely bored by it. Uh, but I was not. I I was for the most part, with some like minor exceptions thoroughly wrapped up in the story that this character was going through but you know what i used to feel that's the thing why i say about i suspect this has got some godfather because Mm -hmm. all i used to say that when i first saw the godfather like man things really drug we went to italy Uh uh-huh and i used to say that about a, a couple different parts and the more i watched it the more i understood how much those things connected and were necessary and vital to the rest of the to 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 connect the two halves of the movie and now it's like i feel You're talking st- about the godfather 2 one oh okay when when michael goes to italy and mm-hmm. finds apollonia and like i, mean, I always think it's like sicily, that was right huh it's sicily i think did I say Italy? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the football, <laughs> whatever, the soccer ball. Uh, I, mean, I think it is. No, no, you're right. It's Sicily. Okay. It's it's for fucking sure Sicily. It's Sicilian. This is yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's this is anyway. Um, but yeah, I I thought that was the boring, but that was the part where you you know you you get up and get a drink and cook a pizza and whatever. Uh, now I feel stupid for saying that. So. Um, I agree. There are. It does seem like, but I, I don't want to say like they're obviously flaws because I, again, I haven't had enough. It's it's also a long movie, but it didn't feel as long as it was. I thought. Yeah. Like it's like almost two hours and forty five minutes, and I, I had no time that I think like, oh my god, when's this fucking movie going to be over? And I started pretty late, so I was. Yeah, me too. Sometimes when I do that, I'm inclined to kind of look at the clock and like, ooh, but this 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 movie. Uh, was gripping um so i obviously i'm completely in the tank with it and yeah i'm just trying to decide whether i think it's one of the greatest movies i've ever seen or merely a a great great movie movie. okay right sure Uh (laughs) uh-huh that's where i'm at with that's why you're like sifting the flaws and all that right right so um i don't know how you want to talk about this movie um I really loved the imagery in the beginning of this guy going down to try the silver mine, and it yep. kind of puts like Minecraft into perspective. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, like how hard it it was to bring stuff out of the ground mm-hmm. back in the day, and you can see like this guy is kind of like back of the envelope inventing the oil, Derek. Yeah, and um, you know I know this is all truthy, like it's based loosely on the oil baron era of Standard Oil and. Uh, and the, the the wildcatting back in the day in California, but it's not you know they invented this character who is himself oh, yeah, a, yeah. a transformation of the character from the novel. 
yeah, but it this... felt it felt completely real. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't suffer from the idea that this is not a specific character because it feels like just the story of the oil industry, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, he's a stand-in for all of the oil men, not just a single right. person. Right. Can I ask you something? Because I think this is a central question in the movie, and I, I saw a lot of reviewers that I respect, uh, including Roger Ebert, be pretty dismissive of it. Um, do you think that uh, Plainview loved his adopted son? I I have... So I have a lot of questions here. Okay. A, I'm not in- entirely sure that this is actually an adopted son. This might be something he says to hurt HW. I think because you're right. If you this, so I don't. I think it's, I think it's his adoptive son because it seems to me that this, uh, this, 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 this guy, he didn't have a baby to start with, and right. when he had some workers come along, now there's suddenly a baby, and I think the guy who was killed in the well was was the the, the kid's actual father. So that extent is true. Okay. But it I do feel be, yeah. like, and the question I have is like, how much did he adopt this kid because he felt responsibility for him, and how much because he recognized that, like, hey, I can spin, like, like if I if I spend these first few years like raising this kid and get him talking, like he can be a valuable part of my sales pitch down the line. Right. Sure. But then also when he's explaining to the kid the finer points about the negotiation, the deal, and and how he's you know going to move this oil pipeline through and. You can see how bright the kid is. Like this kid's mm-hmm. performance, very minimalist, but and maybe that's a good thing because, like you know, a kid opening his mouth might ruin the illusion of him being so smart. Yeah, this is like the most stoic kid I've ever seen. But you see him like you could see it like Michael Corleone potential. He's not mouthy. He's just quiet. He's got big eyes. He's absorbing everything. He's he sees that he's learning the lessons that Plainview's trying to teach him, and I think Plainview's taking a shine to him. Now, what? At what point the film, this guy, the money just took over and he lost his fucking mind and started becoming like an openly evil character? Um, I don't know. But like, I feel like maybe these ki- this kid would have been. Uh, if he hadn't. If he had. The other question I had is if he wasn't struck deaf, would he have become like his father? Or did that mm-hmm. put a barrier between them so his inherent goodness could grow and flourish and not be corrupted by plain views just bastardry like he is just a fucking and and what i don't understand about him he's a dick when he didn't even have to be like if i was playing of course this is maybe why i i'm not a rich oil baron but i would have given the minister his five grand i would have let him say his blessing i would have done every anything in my power to keep the townsfolk happy so they're not fucking with me right i i don't understand why there's this pissing contest between eli and and daniel uh in this movie it seems like it's born purely of his quote-unquote hatred for people and his insane desire to prove that he's superior to everyone in every aspect and axis of power right and i guess you know he sees he sees the people following uh eli here in this town as their religious leader right yeah and like he says later on in the film he can't stand to see anyone win he doesn't want he doesn't want anyone but himself to have anything so, but but so how much of that decides was decides to take that from him? How much was that was that weaponized by the fact that he he snubbed the guy, which is all well and good, and then his son was struck down almost immediately, mm-hmm. and now this guy who proclaims that he can heal in the name of Christ and like does this just outrageously ludicrous 
exorcisms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that, like, there's this natural desire to competitive and be hateful, sure, but then it's like just pour gas on the fire when that happened. Yeah. And, like, I wonder, you know, the other thing I wonder is, like, if this guy had a couple nudges the other way, would he have been a stereotypical, like, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge kind of story where it's, like, he turns out that he, you know, realizes what he shit he's been and reconciles and, like, the way things kind of broke, he got put in this little prison where he just became more and more reclusive and alcoholic and rageful and less loving. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell where the line is, where... You know, he goes from, I don't know, it's hard to tell where he even starts, frankly. Um, I don't know what his attitude toward people is. I mean, this is the this is a story, this is a cautionary tale of giving a kooky old prospector too much money and power, essentially. Yeah. Like, this guy is a loner to begin with, right? He's out here in the middle of the fucking desert, digging on his own, trying to find oil, trying to find silver, actually. Right. And accidentally hits the oil. Like, this is not a guy who is okay and cool with people to begin with. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, the question of what, when it starts, maybe is not even a real question. Maybe it's just that's how he always has been. It seems like this is a basic story of, quote-unquote, great men, right? Like, this guy... He falls down, breaks his leg at the bottom of his well, and heroically saves his life. Yeah. And then I think takes from that the lesson that I am uniquely great, and my perseverance and spirit allowed me to overcome this, so I deserve to eat the world. Whereas I look at that situation, and sure, you had, you know, you didn't just give up and become a, 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 a thing of bones at the bottom, but like. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways you got lucky that day that you could have been blown to smithereens or you could have broken your back or you could have hit your head. Uh, And then it doesn't matter how much grit and determination you had. You'd still been a skeleton at the bottom. So, Mm -hmm. like, some of these – it seems like a lot of these great men, and, you know, I think here is the basic divide between conservatism and liberalism, is, like, I did this and I worked hard and I had this result and everybody can do it versus I worked hard and I had this great result and – I got lucky. Yeah. We should probably look out for those people where the luck fault, you know, is not there. But I thought that was so like, it's just so illustrative. Like you can see, like if, if, if you went through that experience, like I can see why a lot of people come away and be like, man, I'm a badass, and, Mm -hmm. and not, there's not very many people in this world like me. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, this guy is clearly narcissistic. Um, you know, I, so this movie is essentially Scarface, Mm-hmm. Uh, with oil instead of drugs, mm-hmm. but you take a look at like Tony Montana versus uh, was it Manolo? Was that his name? Yeah, right. The, his his cousin or whatever. Yep. Uh, they both had very different approaches to their wealth and their success, right? Sure. Tony Montana just digs himself this hole, much like uh, Daniel Plainview does in this movie. Whereas money, you know, he says like uh, his his goal was like I want to get enough money to get away from people. Yeah. Well, you have it. You have it, and now you. Yeah. And now at the end of this movie, you have gotten away from people, uh-huh. uh, but the people come back, uh-huh. and the people want something from you, and you kill them. Um, <laughs> but I, so I, I think you know it's also a cautionary tale about, or not a cautionary tale, but it's a fable about a fundamentally narcissistic and greedy man mm-hmm. given the opportunities to make more money than right. than anyone should have <laughs> should have in their life. 
Yeah, like, I mean, I don't... Because I think someone else in his place would have handled it much, much better. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. And it's like, you know, we're always talking about, like, where the freedom, you know, because as Americans, we love freedom. We love individual determination and following your own destiny. But, you know, where are the limits to that? Like, if someone just takes money and acquisition of that and treats it like the high score in a video game and tries to beat it to the exclusion of any kind of civic conscious, any kind of fellow feeling, any kind of recognition that, that, that they're building this on the back of other people and, and t- you know, taking advantage of things that, um, you know, that the civil society is providing them. Uh, uh-huh. What what does it look like? Well, it looks like this guy, right? Sure, yeah. It looks like... And, the... and doing it outside the rules as well. I mean, certainly murder is not within the purview of, of this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's willing to do it, but it's it's not something that we tolerate as a society. So, like, right. he's he's coloring outside the lines here Because um, that's the other thing to is make like... that money. Every time I saw his oil man pitch, which yeah. was really good, like, you know, he sits yeah. there and he's like, I'm the man and I can do it and nobody else can and I'm going to do this and I'm going to provide this. I'm like, what if he just did that? What if he built the school and then built the church right. and built the roads and did the agriculture and got the thing? Like, he would be the hero of these towns. Everyone would love yeah. He'd be beloved by all, and he would still be fucking rich. But he would be what, less rich. But is what the causes problem. this disease? This is yeah. a disease. Yeah. And we don't – I think as Americans, we need to call up and, and say it. Like, this is a disease. This is wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be able to, like, maybe if you can do it all on your own, you don't need anyone, you can. But you can't sit there and suck and suck and suck and give so little back mm-hmm. and, and just go back on your promises and whatnot. And, you know, like, I thought it was poignant when uh, this guy uh, who is um, uh, Paul Dano, who the last time, I, the only thing I've ever seen him in is he plays an absolute shit in 12 Years a Slave. Uh, he yeah. plays a character in The Prisoners. It's a 2013 uh, Villanova, the guy that directed um, Arrival. Hmm. Okay. We, we, there's a big consensus for us to do Prisoners at some point. Yeah, um, I and that. I just hear just amazing things, and this guy's in that, so that's that speaks well of it. Uh, but when he comes and he beats his father for being stupid and weak, mm-hmm. um, which kind of paints him as a little bit closer to this Daniel Plainview than he probably wants to admit – um, his father's blood. There's there's no one clever enough because if you negotiated a proper deal, he would bide his time until he can cut you out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you w- didn't accept the fact that you've been cut out of it, he'd throw you at the bottom of a hole. Like he would slit your throat. He would do like he. There's nothing you can do to beat this guy because he doesn't play fair. He's a fucking gangster. Sure. Yeah. So. I don't know. Um, I thought that was pretty amazing. I also thought it was how interesting is this thing does 90% of what Breaking Bad does in the entirety of its run in two less than three hours. And in a way that, like, you know, like like Scarface doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, Scarface is not, like, has the, the breadth and depth of, of the human experience that this movie does. And I guess maybe this guy didn't start as a, as a, a not evil guy. Although... I, Right, I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't. I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, like, if this guy, when he was down in that silver mine, was a lot like Walter White. He's kind of miscontent. He's very smart. He's driven. Um, he's kind of, you know, a little bit of a, a narcissist. But again, 
the balls bounce a few different ways, and maybe he's a person who's beloved by he's Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. but because the balls bounce this way, he's this miserable drunk murderer at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm some of this. I'm just trying to wrap my head around like what the movie, if there's any message in this movie at all, uh, or if it's literally just the tale of an oil man. Can we talk about the tension more. between religion and greed in America? Uh, okay. Sure. That we simultaneously put on a pedestal capitalism and this, you know, individual excellence and wealth accumulation, even in mm-hmm. religious, like, you know, the biggest megachurch uh, ministers are all fabulously wealthy and kind of ostentatious about showing it. Sure. They're not Absolutely. like living in sackcloth and piling up money and giving it to the poor. They're wearing $5,000 Italian suits and mm-hmm. having private jets and fleets of vehicles and giant mansions and, you know... Um, but yet Jesus was the guy who kind of wanted to run around and, 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 you know, very basic garments and he tried, all the money he collected, he tried to funnel to the poor and he says, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's easier for a camel to fit through the needle's eye than it is for a rich man to get into God's kingdom. Right. How the fuck does this do, has this duality lived in America for over a hundred years? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, clearly people still follow um, these people as religious leaders, right? I mean, yeah. It's not somehow the religion has been uh, adapted, ha- has adapted to the greed of the religious leaders uh, and seems to have come out the other side, in my opinion, harmed, but in a lot of people's opinions, I guess, unharmed. I mean, I get it that, like, a, to a certain extent, prosperity is a sign of blessing from God if you're a true believer. Uh-huh. But, like, when that prosperity goes beyond anything that a reasonable person can imagine and is at the expense or detriment to the poor and the needy, how can that still right. be seen as a Christian virtue? Yeah, I mean, it it wouldn't be. Um, Jesus himself would have given away the extra money, would have given it, used it to house those with the homeless or you know feed the hungry but it it sets up these brilliant like mirrored images scenes like the when the when eli comes to collect the five thousand dollars he's owed for his church and daniel just beats the shit out of him Mm -hmm. and humiliates them uh for having temerity to ask for what he was owed um then yeah. when Daniel needs to put his pipeline and the guy says my price is you're going to have to become a baptized member of the congregation mm-hmm. and this guy humiliates Daniel and I think actually it kind of works he kind of feels something yeah absolutely. and then that ultimately is flip-flopped yet again like I I couldn't I couldn't believe kind of like the balls it takes to have that that stanza like you know you have this song that has the stanza repeats three times in the same movie mm-hmm. with, with and the stakes keep increasing until the ultimate extent he he beats at the end of, of having levi debase himself and say like you know i don't believe in god i'm a charlatan i'm a fake whatever he had like and renounces his faith in god and right. then he doesn't even give him the thing he wants and beats and that's the other thing there, here's there's here's here's another example of greed You've taken everything from this man. Mm-hmm. He has nothing left. Yeah. And then you beat him to death on top of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the ultimate in that one-upsmanship game that he's playing. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, literally. And, and, you know, it comes right back to what he says, what he confesses to his fake brother, his fake half-brother here, mm-hmm. um, that he wants everyone else to have nothing. 
He does not want anyone else to have a single thing. He wants it all. Let me ask you this then. And so he takes it all from Eli, absolutely everything. Because here's here's another evidence for him loving his son mm-hmm. at, at some level. Why does he stop the little girl from getting beat? When is this? So he sits down. His 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 daughter, his son confides him in one night. He says, "This um, I forget the girl's name, but the Sunday girl." Yeah. Um, she says her father beats her, which she doesn't pray. And then you later see him at the table, and he 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 catches the girl as he runs past. He's like, "Hey, are you happy that I'm here? Is everything going right?" He's like, "There's going to be no more beatings, right?" No, and she's clearly uncomfortable by all this. And you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" And then he lets her go, and the camera pans around. You see that her father is directly sitting across the table, and then Daniel looks right at him and like stares him down for like thirty seconds. Like, there's oh, okay. not going to be any more beatings, right? Yeah. Like, why did he step? What What good impulse did that? Where did that come from? I don't know. Uh, that's a fair question because I don't see any. <laughs> I see very few instances of him showing any affection for anyone including his own is it is it is i almost wonder if it's uh, that's part of the religion thing like if she was just beating if he was just beating her to beat her he wouldn't care but because he's beating her to make her pray to god Mm -hmm. like that's a threat to his sovereignty could be so he's putting like i mean but but on the other hand it's also objectively good to get a child you know to make a father stop beating his child um so i don't know that's more of a dichotomy than i was expecting like Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Here's what I knew about this film. I knew it was. Um, I thought it was a story about a uh, a father being estranged from his son, and I, I I got the impression that his son is the one that was the preacher and was preaching against him. And also, I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Those are the right. things I knew right. about the film. Half of them were wrong, uh-huh. and I had no idea that the milkshake scene was going to be the very climax of the film. Yeah. Um. But. Now, I, so I guess this I, – I thought this guy's going to be much more irredeemably evil, and of course he is, but there's also a lot more nuance than I was expecting. I thought he was just going to be a devil, but there was enough scenes I've, where uh, – I feel like he is. I feel like he is. I feel like this is just a tale of a greedy, greedy man getting extraordinarily successful. But he's presented with all these choices where he could have redeemed himself, mm-hmm. and he kind of does in some. But most of the times, he just lets those moments pass him by or double down. You know, yeah. like when his son comes, and this is you know the other thing at the end of the movie. Even after this guy's been such a shit, he hasn't bothered to learn sign language, mm-hmm. which I thought was amazing. And the son comes and says, "I want to go to another country and try to see if I can make it on my own." Something that, that we, this guy got his start by breaking off from his father, who was a prospector, we find out later in the movie. Right. Um, and he den- he says, oh, you're going to be my competition now, and disowns him, and in a way that is just unbelievably brutal. Like, my jaw was on the yeah. floor. No, I mean, that that's easily the best scene for me. The, the bastard from a basket, the bastard in a basket scene yeah. is incredibly intense, and the performance there is so good. And it's not... Like, like I'm it, watching a guy work a Rubik's Cube where he's trying to find the, the combination of words that's going to be the most devastating. And then when he finally gets it, he can't, like, like that bastard right. basket. Like, man, that's a good – I'm going to fucking re- scream it at him until it, it, it sinks in. It's, yeah, it's – Right. And, and it's, it's restrained uh, – this is crazy for me to say because, you know, the performance overall is definitely not restrained. But, mm-hmm. like – or, or the character is not restrained, but this scene is more restrained, let's say, 
than the final scene, which I think is a little too unhinged for my taste. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, this is the absolute heart of madness here, and I oh yeah, I that's the that's the struggle I have with this character or with this movie. I guess is the character is so fucking broad. Like this character is over the top greed, over the top um envious over the top everything man see i i but, saw but here, here's the okay. thing about it though the performance never never lets you lets that become a problem okay Which, sure like there are there are at times the performance is understated at times it is outrageously over the top but it is always utterly convincing and that's the thing that saves it for me because this character itself could just have devolved into pure madness and something that isn't enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um. So the duality of this character, I think, also like on the first time where the the de- he hits his first gusher. Yeah. Um. And he's sitting there as you know his son has been very you know has been he's he's going to turn out he's he's deaf now. Uh. And he's sitting there with his partner played by Siren Hines. He's the guy who plays the. Um, the wildling king the wildling king in yeah. uh um game, game of thrones, thrones. Yep. he says uh there's an ocean of oil under here and no one can get at it but me and then his fa- his his partner says is your son going to be okay and he says no he isn't and at that moment he was capable of being unreasonably pleased with the one thing and also cuz the very next scene you see him trying to comfort his son and also you can see him detached because this guy's shaping up to be an interesting kid, and, and now he's just going to be someone who can't speak properly. And 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 you know, and and they also sell the terror from the son's perspective and what that's like to be him. And yeah, and but he's always got that. He's like always walking and threatening to do the right thing. Like he brings his son back, and he gets him the teacher. He should have done in the beginning. Like again, why didn't you just fucking do this from the beginning? And, and then you think like, okay, well, he's turning a corner. But then you find out that maybe this is just so he can shine on this standard oil guy. I guess I don't like your categorization that there is anything good in this guy because yeah, I mean, from the very start, he's a shit to his son. Like when, how? when his son gets blown off the roof of this fucking thing and gets deafened, he, he does not care. He does not care. He is more concerned about the oil that is burning up. The money, the dollars that are burning every second that this oil burns. Do you think it's that, or there's also stuff that had to do to save? Like, there's the, that's a very dangerous situation, and he had to do things because no one else knew what to do. He had to go and sure, chop down to sure. Derek. Sure, in, and... in the immediate in the immediate aftermath, like the the geyser goes up, he lights on fire. Yes, he needs to be out there to put it out. But he was cuddling or, with the sun while he was still. They're both still cuddled with oil that night. Absolutely, it was the same right, night. Right, but he no, he waits all night. All freaking night. I mean, he's he's out there for hours just watching this thing burn. Hmm. That's because that's when the guy comes up to him and is like, "Is your son going to be okay?" He says, "No, he's not." And then the very next but scene he's is, si- but the very next scene, and he's sitting out there for another ten, fifteen minutes, like at least, at I least. Don't know if that timeline matches up, but whatever. Like... And then, and then the scenes with his son on the train, like he sends his son away. Oh, because totally. He's more concerned with this mining operation than he is with his son. And that, I think there's it's no also... question about it. There's also some pain there that he doesn't know how suddenly he doesn't know how to relate to this kid. Uh, I mean, I mean I, I'm not I'm not, I look, guess, I'm not excusing I, it. I'm just trying to peel back the layers of the man. And, and I think it's yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I think from the very beginning, this kid was a prop for him to use to. So to you're entirely sell of his story that like because I'm, I'm not sure. I think that 
certainly that's that's the majority of it. But I think that again, had things gone a little bit different, maybe their relationship different, maybe this guy's whole life is different. Maybe, but at every turn he makes the wrong decision. Certainly. And that's kind of a fascinating thing to do. That's kind of like um, in the same way, like, you know, but it's Michael all conscious. Corleone. It's not like he accidentally stumbles into that. He makes the bad decision. Could every you say time. the same thing about Michael Corleone? Uh, yeah, maybe. I could definitely say the same thing about Scarface, about Tony Montana. Okay, but he's a lot, you know. There, Which I there's... think is more analogous to this story hmm. here. Okay. I just feel like that, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't fully sorted through my my feelings about the movie. And I mean, obviously, I, I have no have problem I. saying that he is a great evil character. <laughs> right. But, but like, all, like all really good villains, there are these glimmers of humanity in him that arguably makes him more monstrous for turning his back on them. Right. Like making a conscious decision to, to do these things. And I loved, like, but see, every single time I thought the movie is threatening to make a comeback story. Like when he finally yeah. brings his son back and they have, like, this son just starts fighting him. I'm like, this feels real. Uh-huh. And he's letting his son have that reaction. He's like, okay, now we're going to stop. We're going to try. But then he just swerves back and he lets this petty you know the the minister gets the the better of him and that's that's it like his his hope to have a normal relationship with the son is over yeah and the fact that you know he needs to show these standard oil executives that he's a good father and it, that's that's the fucking complicated thing about it um can yeah, we talk about just... the like we've talked about the big gothic opera themes of this thing but can we talk about like the explosion and how well staged the casual violence in this movie was like a dude's down there in the well oh, yeah. and someone bumps a tool and he's just destroyed by this yeah. steel shaft. Yeah. Guess but, what? That's that's designed to puncture the earth. Yeah. And it will puncture you just as easily. And it's just just horrifying. And then the yeah. explosion itself, how like violent it was and just how insanely dangerous all this stuff was. And like the giant tornado of fire and, and how they. Yeah. I knew this. They did this because I saw an episode of MacGyver once where he closed an oil well with like a stick of dynamite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy how they, you know, they use this explosion to starve it of, fi- of flame and get it under control. Like it's almost like a magic trick. Yeah, and yeah. the way they show that is just just remarkable. Yeah, it's tough because what is is it Jarhead where where you walk through the I haven't uh, seen Jarhead the, the deserts of Iraq and there are just probably just. All- uh, Fifteen, twenty of these right. things burning yeah. at night, and it's like it's tough for me to get all excited about this burning oil derrick here because I've seen whatever that movie was. I think it was Jarhead, okay, uh, where they did this on a much grander scale, but it is still really cool. I bet that it would be interesting, like if you were a marine or infantryman and you're walking through Kuwait and you just see like thirty. Do- I mean, it mu- it must look like something out of Mad Max. It's a hellscape. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah I guess this the one. <laughs> this this is lovingly, uh, and I got it, I, I saw this on uh, you know the the 1080p Amazon stream, and it looked just yeah glorious. Mm-hmm. This thing burning at night and him sitting cross legging and watching it was just, I mean, like I said, the, this movie was beautiful. Uh, so some of the videos the visuals are kind of. Sp- I guess that's the other reason it reminded me of Breaking Bad, the desert aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, and the, the the corrupting influence of this substance. Uh, and the, the, you know, there's like literal. Uh, the title "There Will Be Blood" is almost like a promise, right? But there's a lot of these things. Or like, you want to talk about his brother, his relationship he has with his brother? Okay, his because I thought that was like fake brother, almost over the top. The way he dug this guy's shallow grave, the oil started seeping out, and he's shoving <laughs> him in that. Like that's right. almost too much. 
Yeah, I I guess I bought it because they had talked about how the ground, you know, is just oh no, leaking I, this oil everywhere. It makes sense, but it's There's almost so like something from Bram Stoker, like uh-huh. this this or like The Shining. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's a heightened reality that that it's awesome. But like I, that's the one thing I'm like I don't know. Is this yeah. is this too broad? Is this too literal? I mean, this is the this is the raining frogs moment of this movie, right? Right. Essentially, right. did you think it was kind of amazing? Because the um, I thought this guy was a fake as soon as we met him. Yeah, I did too. And so did Daniel Plainview, mm-hmm. but he still took him into his confidence. Yeah, I think he got suckered. Why? I don't know. He had the story. He had the papers. He had the this letter. I guess it was from an aunt or something. Do you think there was something in this that he wanted to believe that there was someone like him and like this was almost like a scientific experiment? Yeah, I, so he had lost his son as his partner at that point. Right. So I think, yeah, maybe he was looking to fill that position. Right. Well, so you're still going back to the cynical of like, this isn't anything human. This is uh, it's still a family-owned business, and that's part of my pitch. I'm a family man. I mean, clearly he has emotions. Like, I, I don't think... You know, he's an emotionless uh, human being who does not care that the bad things he's doing are hurting people. It's simply that he's willing to do them regardless. You he know? sees that as another cost he has to pay. Yeah. Like, he has to pay 100 bucks for timber to set up his derricks. He has right. to pay a guy's life down in the well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the other thing. Is like I was, I was kind of expecting him, when that guy died down there, to just be completely nonchalant about it. Instead, he was angry. And you know, told the guys. I, it's, it's, I, I'm, they made it seem like it was this guy's fault that he had been. He was down there, and he didn't tell the guys on top. Which that mm. didn't seem didn't seem to make any sense, right? Um, but there again, like, sorry, I need to, I need to, I need to read the book, and I need to watch this movie a couple more times. Yeah, I was actually fascinated just by the progression of the mining here. You know, like yeah. like we said, it started in this little silver mine, which is essentially just a hole in the ground right. with a guy right. blowing it up with dynamite. Um, and, and it progresses eventually to a full-scale mining operation. But I, I guess I never quite understood how mining worked back in the early 1900s, which is essentially a heavy piece of metal being dropped onto the ground, a mm. spike being dropped into the ground mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. Makes sense. I just had never given it any thought. Because nowadays, you know, you have the rotating drills, like an sure. actual mechanical drill. But right, right. Back then, I guess you just still how, yeah, you I break mean, the ground with something heavy. That's still how they drill for water in most places. Like, if you've seen, like, a you know, a well driller, it's just essentially they have this huh. this machine. It's a giant hammer that, that pounds metal pipe through the ground. And you okay. put another segment, and you keep pounding until you hit water. Right. Um. I've heard it said that like if something were to, like a World War Three were to bl- the quote unquote blast us back in a Stone Age, that we would never be able to have another industrial revolution, huh. because gotcha. there are no places in the world where you poke the ground and oil just spurts out. Everything mm-hmm. requires the machinery and the technology that we have to get it, to get at it, and make it make it happen. We have depleted, you know, millions. <laughs> hundreds of millions of years worth of resources in about a hundred years. And if we ever have to do it, like if we don't, if, if we don't bridge this gap to, you know, technology and, you know, renewable resources, um, or if we backslide for whatever reason, we have a plague or a war or an asteroid hits us that we're kind of fucked. We'll never be able to achieve this glory again. 
never i like i would i would be inclined to say it'd be very slow but we do understand the concepts we do have access to hydroelectricity and wind power and but if all that thing energy. is broken how do you manufacture it without like oil energy you know like like i think you would have to redirect all your research all your resources to establishing a baseline again huh you know because all that stuff is just so manufactured like if a turbine went bad in the hoover dam and you didn't have i mean i I don't know like i it's it's something that i've I've seen a couple scientists say that like if we ever have a world war three then it's like that's it for the human race like we're just going to be a bunch of uh land-dwelling apes (laughs) forever and ever i don't believe that huh I can't imagine because, like, the Hoover Dam was built in the early 1900s with a shit ton with... of oil and oh, sure, resource. Yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. but it stands right now and it will continue to operate. And I can't imagine that if something broke on it, we wouldn't have the ability to fix it without like maybe it would take all of our resources to mm. do it. Like, but you're gonna be able to fix that. Yeah, I'm thinking more of like like if if uh, two thirds of the planet's uh, population died. Because of asteroid mm-hmm. spec, I, like I said, I don't. I, I, I just a thought experiment that, sure. like, I you know, you see how easy, like, like literally, yeah. you know, in Texas and California and places, like, the oil was literally just like seeping through the ground that wanted to get out. Like, you poke it and it's just gushing and gushing out. Yeah. Nowadays, you have to go out and drill miles beneath the ocean surface to get that kind of stuff. Um, you have to fucking frack shit and pump high pressure or water to get it and. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I want to talk about his son because this guy, this kid that they found, um, they I guess they tried using a lot of more mainstream celebrity children, and none of them kind of panned out. Uh, and they found this guy, Dillian Frazier, who was this kid who was just in some rural Texas town. They went to this particular place in Texas. They asked the principal for their what he thought is the nine kids that would be best for this project, and they picked this guy, kid out of it. Hmm. First and only screen credit. Okay. He's decided not to do acting. Um, I guess when he's a teenager, they asked him. He's like, I'm not sure, but he's still, like, 10 years later, uh, hasn't done anything else. Yeah. Pretty incredible because he's able to play this, like, very quietly intelligent kid. He's ve- he's able to – like, I was amazed at how the kid – like, when they show his teacher working with him with the sign language, just the facility that he had with not just the signing but, like – so much of the sign language seems like it's the expression that you put in it because, you know, the, the signing and stuff is such a stripped-down version of English that you're it's almost a performance. That part of the performance is part of the language. Mm-hmm. And this kid was crushing all that stuff. And when, when he fought uh, Daniel, like, you know, started punching him and stuff, I thought that was incredible. Uh, his performance after he was deafened and he couldn't hear his own voice. And I, I, I just blown away by this kid. Um, and the fact that he was desperate to reconnect with his father to the fact that he like when he when uncle came he recognized what existential threat that was to his relationship and he tried to set him on fire right um and i thought man i thought daniel daniel was going to beat the shit out of him but he didn't yeah um and there's another like at at that moment when he didn't beat him i thought like okay this is going to be the thing where he knows he's got to get the teacher and oh he's taking he's going to take a year off work to go nope he just puts him on the train and abandons him yeah Uh, this guy disappointed me like 12 different times in the movie (laughs) i don't know why i kept thinking that (laughs) there was going to be the hollywood turn like there's going to be it's going to you're going to find out about his rosebud at some point he's going to make turn the corner you're going to find out he's not a monster yeah. But he wasn't. He or he was the whole time. Yeah, I'm with you. I was expecting that 
as well, and it never happened. And I'm kind of, I think the movie is stronger for it. Uh, how much pleasure did you take out of the minister getting beat to death at the end? Because if you're like me, there was a little bit of not, pleasure. Not that much. I I didn't really see him as a villain. Like, really? No, I saw him as maybe uh, a this competitor, a sh- but but he was such a charlatan. Like he wasn't just your regular preacher. He was one of those fucking speaking in tongues, casting demons at, healing sure. old ladies, their rheumatism. Like this is bullshit. Yeah, but in com- by it. comparison. Oh no! I mean, I I was so focused on the shitbag that is Daniel that right. I, Eli never even crossed my mind as a shitbag. Huh? I thought he was a pretty good shitbag, and I thought he got his come up. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying he deserved to get beat to death, and that doesn't make Daniel a nice guy in comparison. But mm-hmm. I got a little bit of. Here's the thing: I turned on Eli the moment that he turned on God. Like if he had stood up to Daniel and said, you know what? That's a lie. And I do actually believe all yeah, this. that's fair. That I'm like, okay. But the fact when, as soon as he had revealed that he was essentially taking advantage of these people, he was just far less successful. And I thought that was the really killer moment when Daniel lays into him and like, you thought you were the smart son. And the, well, let me tell you about your, your, your brother, Paul. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How, how much of this do you think is true? Cause he asserted to do your brother took this $10,000 payment, which I'm pretty sure is false. Mm-hmm. From what we saw the, of neg- negotiations, and he went and he started his own thing, and he's making five thousand dollars a week. I think most of that was just bullshit that he was saying to hurt Eli. I think it was. Didn't he give him five hundred dollars? Well, there was an advance and there was a promise, but then you also got to think of like what he, you know. Yeah, Paul never showed up because maybe Paul was afraid that this guy was good. Because there was also the lo- like such a great line where he's like, "All right, Paul." If I go up all the way to that mountain and there's mm. nothing like I'm going to take mo- back more than my money's worth, like <laughs> I want to yeah. take it out of your ass. And it was such a genteel way to put it like, hey, I haven't gotten out of my seat yet. You can walk out of here right now and I've wasted five minutes of my time and it's like a Liam Neeson. And hey, we'll just forget about it. But I swear to God, if I go up in this mountain and there ain't <laughs> oil up there, I'm going to flay you, son. Yeah. Like that was just such a. There was a lot of things where he just does that, and it's just kind of amazing. Um, I, I'm not – let, let me ask you this. There's some people out there speculating that Paul and Eli are actually the same person because they're played by the same person. Oh. Are, are they are, are they trying to get at that at the end of this Holy movie? Holy shit. if he's making up this stuff about the $10,000, which I think he is because he only gave the guy 500 I don't think he knows anything about Paul, and I think, in fact, Paul might actually be Eli. Holy shit, that really makes me turn on Eli, because then he sold his father out from the get-get, from the jump. Right. And, and, and I thought that was a weird interaction when he came out, when they were quail hunting and introduced himself, like... And it's... It, I'm like, right, wait, I thought... But he's acting strangely knowingly, and he's taking his lead in the negotiations. And then at the table, he's like, well, what about the oil? Exactly. He's like trying to negotiate a little bit harder than his dad wants to. But I I get that he's probably seen the oil on the property, and he's so that that's the thing is like there's just enough doubt that he's this the quote unquote smart son. He's not the like he's not the prodigal son that the other guy was. But I never even considered that. But that's 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 crazy. That's definitely one of the things I'll be watching for in my rewatch. And I don't think he actually mentions Paul by name, like when he's beating his dad, when Eli's beating his dad and saying, you're stupid, 
stupid no he no he did he says you let your son. you let your stupid son take you know paul say so does he if he does that's mm. really taking the yeah then they it's possible they're just identical twins uh-huh played by the same actor right i don't know i'm not sure where i come down on that i need to see it again um but huh that's so you think that that would have come out in their final confrontation he would have said, "No." Was he you given st- an opportunity to? Though I mean, well, he was coming at him and drinking, and I'll drink, drink like that's right. you know, he's like, drinking his milkshake, and all of a sudden he's throwing bowling balls. Because at him. that's the other thing is like, it's just such a brilliant way to show that this guy comes in and he thinks he's holding the trump card, yeah, and he doesn't understand how oil works. Like, right? I've been tr- pumping in a circle around this property and I've drank your milkshake. Yeah. I've got it all. I, I, I've got it all. And you, you hold nothing. Like the only thing of value was that narrow strip for the pipe. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you got to slap me around and have your fun with me. Um, and obviously I don't think he genuinely converted in that moment, but I do think that he got him to feel things about his son. Like, I think that was a genuine confession oh, yeah. about him abandoning Definitely. his son. He yep. he didn't want to. He wanted to go into it and, you know, not commit to it. But the guy forced him to. Yeah. In the exact same way that he forces him to admit that he's a charlatan. Except for he just completely fucks him over. He's got he's got nothing to give to him. Like Sure. Yeah. Should have gotten in writing, man. Should have gotten in writing. Got it all. And, of course, he would have just killed you anyway. And not it would have not mattered. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't feel like anything would matter. Because this Plainview character is just never going to lose. Like, you're never going to get a fair sure. deal because he's just going to fuck you. He's going to fuck well, you legally. I mean, so there he... was a moment where I thought that Daniel could lose. And that was when the people from the railroad, or maybe it was Standard Oil, they, they come in and they say they offer to buy him out. They offer him a million dollars to just walk away and sell him, sell which them is, his, his which derricks. is which is juxtaposed to the scene that happened just before we confesses to his brother that all I want is enough money that I can get away from people. Right, and you think this is his out? He could do it with a million. It's bucks. what's funny is Standard Oil was giving him the oil man pitch. Right, he's like, you know, look, we're just going to we're just going to make it easy and give you all this money. Like, mm-hmm. why do you want to work so hard? Like, just let someone who knows how to do it, and we've already got the contracts with all that stuff. And he—that's his Walter White moment, right? And, yeah, and at the same time, they were also on the edge of drinking his milkshake. In right. that he—they owned the shipping lanes. The, the right. only way out of that town right. is via the railroad, and they own it. And the only other way he could get out was through this union deal, yeah, uh, with the pipeline. The pipeline, and you see. So I wonder if that's one of the first pipelines ever, because seems like it. Yeah, yeah, because it. It, it seemed like this wasn't a thing that was done, but he was going to try and strike a deal to do it. And if he right. couldn't do that, right. he was truly fucked. He was done because he has yeah. all this oil and there's no place to sell it and no right. place to move it. Yeah. So what good is an ocean of oil if you can't move it and sell it? Yep. It's not good at all. Yep. Uh, so he gets lucky there. Mm-hmm. He gets very lucky in that he's able to broker this deal with Union. And he threatens the guy that I'm going to cut your throat. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be literal, but I think that his – Cutting his throat was just emasculating him later on in the movie, which if yeah if okay. I'm the if I'm, if I'm the standard oil exec like it's so funny because the way they shot that scene you can see that everyone in the room thought that Daniel was a crazy person mm-hmm. and this the standard exec was like kind of a a decent human being for diffusing the situation by just like you know what this is costing me nothing but my pride uh it's not costing him anything dollars it's not and he just let the guy win but like it shows like 
Daniel being triumphant, but also at some of his most monstrous. Yeah. Because he's doing this right in front of his son. He's literally using his son as a as a way to cut this guy's throat. Yeah. Um, I also, speaking of the other shot that really kind of made me gasp is the shot of the brothers on the beach. You know, how they were, like, in identical poses, but one of them was shrouded in shadow and the other was in light. Oh. And it's, like, mm. where he first realized that his brother yeah. was fake. And then, like, his confession... Did you think he was going to kill his his uh, fake brother? Uh, at what point? I mean, when he I, first when started they sitting like, on the beach, no. When they when he when he was making him confess, and when yeah. the guy said like, "Look," and he he told him about his real brother. Mm-hmm. I thought that he might come uh, yeah. to appreciation that this is as close to my brother. And this guy, like he said, like I didn't mean to hurt you. I was just trying to get by and I am, we are legit friends and kind of family now. Like don't mm-hmm. do this. And I thought the way they staged a shooting where he kind of like dealt him a glancing blow was really horrific. Yeah, it was uh, a very small gun. Yeah. Uh, the low caliber bullet here that back of the head, I didn't quite do the job. And the guy just kind of bled out from his did, brain. Yeah. Like it was yeah. really I mean, the violence in this movie sticks with me because it's just so sudden and brutal, like it, like a like a, a steel shaft crushing someone, or mm-hmm. a wooden beam crushing someone, or this 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 small little gun bleeding someone out and and, and cold blood. It's yeah. there, there's something really gruesome about it. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald move. His brother Sneaky Peter him. This is <laughs> this is essentially the plot of Sneaky Pete, yeah. that Amazon original. But you know the other. So the other thing is another evidence for the fact that he actually loved his son. Uh, there was a genuine moment, like Daniel Day Lewis's one of his most intense performances is when he's flipping through his brother's diary, and he finds I think it's the picture of his son. It can't be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who that was a picture of. But frankly, it, but it, it reminded him of a son, right? It might have been his brother, his actual real brother. But that it looks so much like the baby from the beginning. I know, I yeah, know, yeah. it can't possibly be now that I'm I'm pu- puzzling this together in my mind. Uh-huh. But his reaction on seeing that was fucking amazing. Yeah, I'm no, like, I, I mean, it was amazing top to bottom. I yeah, certainly there were standout moments though, and that was right. one of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the baptism, the baptism scene, where he just throws himself into this to get. It's like I just thought that was incredible. Like I, as I'm watching this, like I don't even know what I, you know, I'm like losing my mind watching both of these guys go. And I was thinking, like, what would it be like to be on the set when they're filming this? Mm-hmm. And they're, just, they're both screaming like lunatics. And like, what would this be like to be a ten year old boy with no acting experience? <laughs> To have Dan, like to have this uh-huh. guy in, and you know, because this guy's famously this method actor, he inhabits this role. Like, what would it be like to be on the set with this monster? I mean, I guess you walk into Daniel Day Lewis's trailer and he's sleeping on the carpet on the ground. I guess <laughs> he's passed out, drunk, right from the previous night. I, I saw a little bit where he says that that was a big concern because I guess his mother. Uh, agreed to it, but then she she goes. Oh, I want to see who this guy's she's going to be working with. And she rents gangs in New York, oh, boy. and then goes to behind the scenes and sees like what a maniac Daniel Day Lewis. She's like, I'm not sure I want my son around this guy. So Daniel Day Lewis, I guess, had a sit down before they started filming. He got in character. He's like, Look, um, 
part of this acting, we're going to pretend, and sometimes I'm going to be really close to you, and sometimes I'm going to have to say things are going to be very hard, and it's going to be, I'm going to have to act very mean, but I just want you to know right now, when I'm me, that I love you. Mm-hmm. And he goes, the kid just looked at me like I'm insane. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not going to get better. Like, maybe the kid never makes another film before, because, like, you know, he he was living with this crazy person for a year. Yeah, that might do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if this is acting, I want no part of it. Plus, I saw like it's interesting because I I remember Paul Thomas Anderson bitching about how tough it was to work with children in, um, the uh, shit that movie Magnolia. Magnolia, yeah, Magnolia, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know what a pain in the ass, and how like unself aware he was about like how <laughs> kind of sweatshoppy he was being, mm, yeah. And like now he's got this kid out in the desert with Daniel Day Lewis. Like <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I I hope there was a kid wrangler that was just I think there's like like the way PETA observes animals. I, I hope there was like some kind of Kita representative there that was making <laughs> sure, or no, it would be it would still be PETA, be pet kick pet. Kick people for the ethical treatment of kids I, I, they they should be there on set to make sure that this kid was being not damaged because i don't know it's weird you, you just big the successful movie and you never want to do another one uh so i i read ebert's review on this movie sure and he actually gave it half a star he gave it three and a half stars i thought it's, that was i thought that was interesting as well right so here's the thing i don't have the i don't have the breadth of knowledge that Ebert has in order to be able to judge it in the same way that he does, because mm-hmm. apparently when he judges a movie, he takes into account uh, all all of the filmmakers' ambitions um, and the history of the genre and everything. Right. Uh, you know, he's a proper film critic. I'm just a dude talking about what I think about movies. Right. Uh, so he he actually says that it is not a perfect movie, and then he cites No Country for Old Men as a perfect movie, which is a great I, movie. Yep. I don't know that I don't know that any movie is perfect though. And I think I, this movie's better than that movie. I actually do too. I agree with that. And I don't I don't know where he's coming from. And then and I don't want to get piss people Cohen Brothers fans because we're splitting awfully fine hairs, yeah, but yeah. this is in the category of I've never seen anything like it before. Mm-hmm. Whereas No Country for Old Men was like the 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 gritty crime noir film with the western perfected. Yeah. And I think it was inherently more entertaining than this movie, but that's I'm, not what this movie sets out to do. And I don't, I guess I don't understand why he he did that. I'm gonna that I'm gonna star. throw something out here because you I uh, there's a couple of biases that that Ebert has, and I think one of them he doesn't he never had children. Okay. And as a person who has had children, like you know, I, I've had the lone son. Um, there was an extra element of horror and bewilderment to this whole proceedings that I don't know that, like, I, I think that, it, that you can probably empathize and sympathize with, but unless you have children to know what a violation all this stuff is. Wow, this is incredibly condescending to people who don't have children. I mean, uh, no, it's not. It's like saying I, it's I, like saying you can't understand what it's like to lose a, 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 a parent if you've never done it before, or you can't understand what it's like to be an orphan if you haven't. Like, Sure, Uh said i i think you know that's that's maybe the miss that's where that missing half star was okay well i i have these movies swapped on my on my list yeah i think uh no country for old men is not as good as this movie so i i don't know i mean i don't know how that well, throws i'm not, a I'm not saying this is a universal works. principle i'm just trying to okay. decode ebert's half star like in a world where ebert had 
at one time raised a 10 year old son at some point like did that did that did that extra emotional kick give it an extra half star i don't know i i think ebert also values entertainment um sure he, he likes to be entertained and and i do too and i can see maybe where he's coming from if you say no country for old men is a more entertaining film because i think it is i don't think this movie sets out to be entertaining i think this mm. movie sets out to be an epic fable um about greed and the oil industry and well yeah which it, it it doesn't try to do the same things that no country for old men does and maybe no country for old men is just inherently more interesting to ebert because it has more of a typical right. type of hollywood format yeah no i and we've had this conversation before not for a while but like i can derive entertainment from something that's just purely absorbing and cerebral to where mm-hmm. it's like um, the, the the experience of watching like the Matrix and like watching something like this kind of hits the same pleasure centers of my brain. So like when someone okay. says that like um, there will be blood is less entertaining than No Country for Old Men, I kind of bristle because I'm like I don't agree at all. I actually find it more entertaining. Hmm. Um, right. And I think that No Country for Old Men was just as slow and like a character study and. I mean, yeah, it had action as well, and, and but it had but a, so did this. Like this. It had this intricately constructed. Plot. Oh, it was yeah, it yeah. Was, you had like this MacGuffin that everybody was after, right? Whereas here, sure. we're just pointing a camera at a dude who's an yep. oil man. Yep, essentially, this is a this is a fucking wildcatter story, right? A particularly evil version of that. There's too. no there's no plot mechanism. There's no construction. Yeah. Uh, there's there's nothing. I mean, it's all just raw and pure and. I think that's awesome. I do too. I really, really appreciate it more so than I do, I guess, the highly constructed plot of No Country. But uh, Ebert doesn't feel that way. What do you think about the social relevance of this movie? Because I find that, like, you know, back in 2007, um, all the same environmental concerns we have today about the extraction of uh, fossil fuels and all the kind of, like, you know, rape of the earth – um, oil spills and like all these different things that, you know, that they were still a concern, maybe now even more so because we got another 10 years of history that we're grappling with this. Um, but I, I wondered, I, as I was thinking of, I've seen this, these people just rape the earth, mm-hmm. like, like dredge up the oil and we don't want to lose any of it. So let's just store it in shallow pools on the surface right? and constructing this pipeline through this pristine wilderness. And I couldn't help but think of like the Dakota pipeline. Uh-huh. where that's not even like it's impossible to get the oil through. They already have a pipeline. They want to make a pipeline right next to it that's twice as big mm-hmm. so they can pump it out faster. Right. And, like, there's all this protest and, like, you know, people, uh, you know, getting water cannons turned on them in the dead of winter. And on one side I see these people like, you know, enough is a fuck enough. We don't – we think it's immoral to make it even easier to to get this resource out because of what it's doing to the planet. And the other people are just like, yeah, but the money. Mm-hmm. What – I mean, obviously this movie's coming down on the, the one side or the other. But, like, I'm surprised that stuff like this – like, I was looking – I thought when – because I, I read probably a dozen – movies i stayed up to like two o'clock in the morning reading about this movie yeah, yeah and i was expecting to get at least one person to say that angle like contemporary or after and i didn't see a single one yeah i don't i don't know that the film cares to address it like it's addressing greed uh, in general yeah right but i don't think it's specifically like trying to say hey here's how the oil men fucked us and here's how it's no so no bad. no i don't think it's like the big short but i also think that right. element's there and i'm surprised no one talked about it 
that's the thing. I guess I don't I don't see it. Like when I say that this is merely a fable, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I mean. Is I don't I don't think the movie cares to even talk about it. Did you not have those thoughts? Because I, no. I so when they're building that pipeline, no. that's the only thing I think about is like the Dakota Access pipeline. All right, well. Fuck me, I guess. I didn't, but I i mean, I don't think it's an invalid no, interpretation. I, no, I, like, obviously. I'm not like, saying, I, oh, you If fool. I'm the only person on this fucking planet that had the thought, it's a valid thought because I had it and my thoughts are valid. But, <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, or are they? Have you ever stopped <laughs> to consider? <laughs> I do, man. And I was just, I'm looking at my notes and this performance that Daniel Day-Lewis gave when he's confronting the oil executive at the ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, his son's drinking a goat milk and he's drinking whiskey and he does this... Um, you look like a fool, don't you? Sheesh, 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 sheesh. Like that, just this, how he's grandstanding and shaming this guy and thinking he's scoring all these points. He's looking like a madman. The other thing, him forcing to drink, this kid to drink half yeah. whiskey, half milk. Yeah. And this kid in real time drank, like, I don't yeah. think it's whiskey, but like, my God. Like, this, you know, this Daniel Day Lewis was force feeding him a pint of milk. Why? Why? To make the kid go to sleep. In the middle of the day? Yeah, because he was wanting to talk. He was more interested in talking to this uh, this uh, his uncle that just showed up. Why doesn't he just tell the kid to go play in the house? Because the Why kid is... Why is he going to knock him out? I, the, I, the, I mean, this the, it was just expedient. Oh, I guess he can't tell him. Like, th- there's a clear, like, he could. This communication guy gave, barrier Like, here. this guy he put forth no, like, once there was any barrier between them. Right, right, right. But he, like, that's what I mean. He didn't care to. He never tried to. And so there is no communication. Here, right. Right? Like, yeah, like, he's just like, I just want an off switch for this kid. Yeah. I'm done with him. I want to do some adult stuff. And this kid, right. and, like, and maybe he's going to try to burn down the house if I don't. And, like, you know, just just make it happen. Yeah. And the, the hatred on his kid's face when he's doing that and betrayal is like, whew. And then Ooh, intense. Him, so, like that—that that was my, that was like every bit as harrowing as watching the Normandy scene of Saving Private Ryan. Like it's like wow, wow, and the fact that it's a real yeah, kid. In a lot of ways, it's kind of worse. I mean, can you imagine? Like, what what does it take to get your kid to try and burn you alive in your bed? That, holy shit! Right. Like I just like I, I I and how do you feel? How do you feel after you realize the situation here? Mm. I don't know. Like I mean, if you're da- if you're Daniel Plainview, you don't give a shit. You're like, but well, the kid. That's always like when you that's send the him thing. away. Yeah, I, I try not to put myself in the kid's perspective too much because it's almost too much to like huh. think about. Like you know how you know I was talking about like that's why like child abuse is the worst because you got this this kid this 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 free thinking being. They can't contextualize the things that's happening to them, and you're kind of the god. The god of their universe is tormenting them. Like it's um, it's some real. I have no mouth, and I must scream shit, man. Yeah. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? I think because that's about all I've got to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's an incredible film. Um, the one that I'm going to revisit many, many times over the year. Like I, I, I do feel like I don't know. It, this could be. Inception, where I watch it another time, like, yep, I've figured this movie out. There's nothing else, but I feel like it's got Godfather potential, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad I finally got the excuse to watch it because uh, <laughs> it came out ten years ago. And um, I mean, it's I, don't an know, I think now I've watch. seen all of Paul Thomas Anderson's works, all of them. Yep, pretty sure mm-hmm. that I've got them all now under my belt. 
um, except for the one he's working on right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, and I thought like I went to Daniel Day Lewis's filmography to see like how close I was because Daniel Day Lewis has distinction of starring in the first rated R movie I saw in a theater. I, I, I there's a, a a girl I was sweet on in high school and I snuck out with the aid of a friend to take her to Last of the Mohicans huh. in '93, I believe. And he was the first person, and I just thought that movie was fucking incredible too. There's no way he's been in so many movies and movies that like I don't even know I want to watch. Like the fact, like like they just just have titles of like the Ballad of Jack and whatever, and like these 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 crazy. Like, I just I, I the unbearable lightness of being, and like I don't I, I they're just. I don't I, know. To me, his catalog seems a little skimpy. Hmm. Yeah, um, but it's heavy. Late. It's heavy. It's very heavy. The only other movie I've ever seen him in is Gangs of New York. Hmm. Uh, I've never seen Last of the Mohicans or Lincoln. Last of or... the Mohicans was very, was very uh, commercial. It's accessible. Um, okay. It's beautiful, but it's, it's, like a, it's like a very, very arty action film. Yeah. Lincoln is, like, I was kind of disappointed in Lincoln. Um, because I'd read most of the relative, like the, the stuff that, and it was essentially just a really, really good version of the book. Very well, competently acted, but like there was no real surprise there. And, oh, that's the thing about this is it's very much not like the book from what I read. That's what I hear too. Yeah. Uh, but Daniel Day Lewis, like is an incredible Abraham Lincoln, but didn't we all expect he would be? Sure. Like, yep. there's not even that much of a transformation right. <laughs> involved. He kind of looks like you throw a, a beard and a mole and a top hat on him, and he's fucking Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I guess it's not super crazy, but I just reading, like, what I'd have to. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's like watching some of these movies, I feel like it's going to be like eating 10 pounds of peanut butter fudge. Right. Like, it might be awesome and the best you've ever had, but, like, it's just, oh, it's, it's just, it's not something you just want to throw on on a Monday night, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, feedback. D Kane, Dean, Dean Kane, uh, Dean Superman Kane had uh, the, the biggest topic I'd like to explore would be Daniel Day Lewis's filmography and where this ranks among his films. I feel oh like boy. it's third best behind both Lincoln and Last of the Mohicans, neither of which I've actually seen. I've seen bits of Mohicans. Uh, so we talked about his, um, yeah. we talked about his filmography and the fact that you especially haven't seen a lot of it. Um, mm. I don't, I feel like it's my favorite one. Like the last Mohicans again, have a, a n- nostalgic memory of that. Cause it was the, uh, the first, it might've been the first is either that or Bra- Braveheart. It had to be last Mohicans. Cause I was only like 16, 17 when I saw that, that I a rated R movie. I saw in the theaters. Mm. Um, but I just feel like this is this is a better this is a better film than that. Um, Gangs in New York is really good. Uh, Lincoln is good. I, I feel like the where, there will be blood. The Lincoln. I didn't even think it was that. It was just a a really plain telling of uh, Lincoln hustling through the Emancipation Proclamation and and trying to end slavery and and this uh, the, the Civil War. Um, mm-hmm. Like it was exactly what I thought it was going to be, um, and that's—I I don't know if this is right or not—but I feel like things that surprise me get a little bit of an edge, and there will be blood. Like I expected to be really good, and it was, I think, amazing. So I yeah. think it's—I think it's sitting on top right now. I, it's certainly better than Gangs of New York for me, so, which is the, the only other one I've ever seen. So yeah, number I'm one. Just, hmm. Okay. I mean, I agree. So I'm not. I sure think why Gangs of New York about, might be more like purely entertaining, but this is just such a good movie. 
Uh, I'm sure you both will debate the ending line, I'm finished, and what you feel like you meant. Um, actually, I, I, I know we mentioned that, but I don't, I don't know if we had an actual debate. So I guess we should. So if, if you recall, uh, we leave him. Uh, he beats to death his preacher friend with a b- bowling ball. His butler comes in and catches him right in the, in the, at the end of the act, and he says, I'm finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Daniel Day Lewis literally saying, "I can't do this anymore." Right, right. I'm I'm wanting out of the plane. The, the, the goddamn, what was this guy's name? Uh, plane view. Yeah. Plane plane dealer. Yep. Uh, plane view. Yeah, I, I can't I I can't be the oil man anymore. Uh-huh. I gotta get back to my wife. Yep. Uh, I I don't know because I I think it. I mean, it's just two clear readings here. Number one, I'm finished. Like, you know, I don't know what he expects his butler to do with this. Like, mm-hmm. I, could you, if you were a real oil tycoon or robber baron, could you beat to death somebody and just have your butler take it out to the trash? Uh, maybe, but you know what's easier? Beat two people to death. <laughs> it, find a new butler. <laughs> it's a lot easier to find a new butler than to, do- to dodge a murder charge. Oh, for sure. So, um, I'm fit, but also. Are we sure the butler didn't say I'm finished? Because <laughs> you don't see him say it. Uh, I think the other the other way I'm finished is like this is kind of like I don't think that he himself is realizing this, but that this is going to be the thing that brings him down. Yeah, like, you yeah. can be a shit and you can steal money yeah. like like O.J. Simpson. One thing that brought him down is he actually killed people, mm-hmm. and he dodged the the try he dodged the criminal, but the the civil one brought him down eventually. You know, I've been watching a lot of OJ. I just, I just finished the, I think it's eight hour documentary, the ESPN Films one. Uh, okay. The, hmm. uh, the, the, uh, that's that's on Hulu right now. Um, and I don't think I ever want to see anything involving OJ again. I know that's, everything. That's fair. I yeah. have the sum total of human knowledge about OJ Simpson, and it is fascinating for many reasons. But I'm, I'm, I'm tired of seeing it. Uh, but the, 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 I'm finished. This is to be the one thing that's going to fuck up his legacy. Because mm-hmm. he's going to go away, unless yeah. his butler just you know buries this guy for him in the backyard. Could be. Uh, clearly, I think it's only fair that one of you attempt the milkshake line, as it's your impressions are always <laughs> top notch. I'll do it if you will. I think we both have to give us uh, the oh, best the be- the, best milkshake. The neighbor over here is going to hate us. You know what? She's pretty loud herself. That's true. So she leaves her door open, so she deserves what she gets. That's right. What kind of uncouth, unwashed person has a loud conversation with their vendor with their door open? I wish we had done everyone this. on this floor. Apparently, I wish we had done this a week ago because I, the line would be fresher in my mind. Uh-huh. But as I recall, uh, it was very intense, very dramatically paused. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> the, the, the last part. I drink it up. You got to get the oh. I drink it up. There you go. <laughs> I don't think I can do it better. That was no? really inspired. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was call really me. You know, if if you need to make a there will be blood too, just give me a ring. I'm yeah. available. Yeah, and he's you know, you don't have to wait nine months from the get in character. You just have to say, <laughs> right. drink a milkshake and he's ready to go. I do have to drink a milkshake before I do that line though. Um let me see if I can because I I'm intimidated. <laughs> I thought I was this I was just gonna humor you. You thought you were gonna run away with it. But huh? you fucking you fucking dug deep. You got red in the face. It was crazy. You have to. I feel like if you're not red in the face, you're not delivering that line right. So does he say, I will drink your milkshake, or is it, I'll drink your milkshake? I think he says, I drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink yeah. it up. Okay. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. There. That's, <laughs> that's my best. All right. I think you did. I think you, you ran away with it, man. Well, thank you. Uh, I was practicing that in the mirror before. 
We did this. <laughs> You're going to be so much fun when you go to like uh, a cafe or Route 66 cafe or a steak and shake. Uh-huh. Steak and shake now. You're going to be building elaborate straw from across the table. Yep. I wonder, could you get away with doing that? Like if, if at steak and shake at the table over... You just start. You built like a six foot long straw, and you started. You know, and when they call when they call you on it, you just do a. Yeah. There will be blood reference. Would would that get you away with it? Could, would people laugh, or would they be like beat you up? It depends if they've seen it or not. If right. they don't know what the reference is from, I'm pretty sure you'd have the cops called on you. All right, but also, like, did you do anything wrong? If you're I, actually I, drinking their milkshake, yeah, like I, there's no law against t- taking these straws and tying them together. Right, and you, there's no law against stretching a t- this this constructed straw across the table. Yeah, so you're just dangling it over the top of the milkshake. You're not actually drinking it. Yeah, I mean they 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 like could an pre- I'm not touching you sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want me doing that. They should have I don't know steel plated their milkshake reserve or <laughs> right. whatever. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald move. Uh, Melanesque said, this is the movie that really turned me into a Daniel Day-Lewis fan. I had seen him in Gangs of New York and In Name of the Father, which is another of his great movies, but was too young. I didn't care enough to pay attention to the acting. After There Will Be Blood, I decided to watch My Left Foot, a real-life story in which he perfectly embodies another completely unique and real character, Christy Brown, who is an Irish painter and writer who had cerebral palsy. Hmm. I'm fascinated by Daniel Day-Lewis, his method, and his ability to transform into a completely unique persona in every movie he plays so convincingly. There's a link that will interest you uh, where it lists a few anecdotes about his acting preparation. And this is an IMDb like trivia-type article. Um, here are some notes about Daniel Day-Lewis in his career order. A bearable lightness of being, 1988, he learned a Czech language for the role of Tomas and refused to break character for nearly the entire eight-month shoot. Hmm. I- infamous for this. My Left Foot, 1989, while playing the paralyzed poet Christy Brown, he refused to leave his wheelchair and had crew members carry him around the set. He also insisted that all of his meals would be spoon-fed to him. All right. <laughs> all right, yeah. He actually didn't cash a paycheck. Did... He, the, the, in, the in-home hostess uh-huh. cost twice as much as he was paid to make the movie. Uh, this is a cool one. I think it's my personal favorite. Last of Mohicans, he taught himself to live as a survivalist and learned how to hunt animals for food. He refused to eat anything that he hadn't killed, whether it was with his flintlock, flintlock rifle or a tomahawk, both of which he could use very accurately. He also learned how to build his own canoe. He, he out Nick Offerman, Nick Offerman. How, as a production, mm-hmm. how do you put up with this guy? Like, look, Daniel, we've got to go into production here in two weeks. You don't have time to learn how to build a fucking canoe. Right. You don't have time to go out in the woods and hunt rabbits. You got to learn your lines, man. See, I think that the the way it works is that like most actors, they get their contract, mm-hmm. and then there's all this pre production work that gets done, and they just they're just chilling. They're just chilling. They made they learned their lines, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they show up and they do it. Uh, as soon as he gets the contract, his pre production is he teaches himself to check language uh-huh. and how to kill rabbits with a tomahawk. I guess so. And he, he go he just he just brings all this in like yeah I I mean the other thing is like he's got to know his script like I've never read a piece of trivia it's like Daniel you know crazy method actor but he uh-huh. doesn't like that's always what you heard about Brando right Brando refused to learn scripts right 
like like it's the classic story of in the godfather he had like pieces pages of the script printed out in big print and it was on the ceilings and the walls which is why he had kind of like that distracted casting around looking at things and it worked sure but i wouldn't say that's he's the hardest working actor in hollywood there either yeah Agent Innocence in 93, he checked into the Plaza Hotel in New York under his character's name and, and walked around in New York in period clothing. Eh, that's that's fine. That's the least weird thing he's done. Yeah. He stayed at a nice hotel and, and, and dress, dressed extra fancy. Mm-hmm. In the name of the father, also in 93, he spent several nights at a time in solitary confinement in the abandoned prison that the crew was shooting in. He kept himself awake for over three days in preparation for an interrogation scene in the film. Oh, he God. also reportedly had crew members randomly throw water in his face and verbally abuse him <laughs> for a realistic IRA <laughs> prisoner experience. Wow. <laughs> so that's the same year I don't know that he, if spent, I do that to he spent a life. Uh, he spent a year in the Plaza Hotel in New York. That's a contrast. Sure is. Go from three-piece suits and the finest 19th century clothing to getting cold water thrown in your face and beaten with rubber hoses. The Crucible, 1996. Uh, he starred with Winona Ryder. Uh, I saw this, uh, uh, I think it was my senior year of school because it was one of the books we were reading. Hmm. Didn't, he didn't wash himself for the duration of the shoot so he could see what living in 17th century hygiene standards was like. He now, also... why didn't he pre-production that? Yeah. What the fuck, man? Subject also, yourself to that, not everyone else. What did Winona Ryder think about that? Yeah. Did that help, did that, that help her immerse herself in her role? <sighs> uh, he also built the house that his character lived in in the movie <laughs> and also helped build the set. He spent some time living in one of the replica houses okay. on set with no electricity or running water. What's some time? Like, like an afternoon? Right. Or like the entire, yeah. you know, there's... there's, there's uh... While they were shooting those scenes? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the boxer, ninety-seven. He trained for one and a half years to be a professional standard boxer with former heavyweight champion Barry McCoogan. No. He also tattooed his own hands. A year and a half. Mm-hmm. How long was this movie in pre-production? I, I, a year and a half, apparently. That's insane. And also to, me. to be a professional standard boxer, like to me, the, the, where's the rubber hit the road? Like, like get your gloves on, get get weighed in, and 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 ding the bell. Like, right. uh, uh, I I don't I don't know if you're a professional standard boxer unless you actually box someone. Sure. So I yeah. wonder if you actually box someone or if they're just the you know McCoogan. He He's like, oh yeah, you're 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 professional stand grade. He stayed up for three days. He didn't shower for a month, and then he boxed somebody. I've been beaten with a rope. If I can get, if I can beat the hose, I can beat with a fist. Gangs in New York, two thousand two. He took up lessons on Apprentice Butcher and always stayed in character on set. This included talking in a New York accent and sharpening knives between takes. He refused to wear a warm jacket because, according to him, it wasn't in keeping with the period. As a result, he caught pneumonia, but rejected modern medicine when it was offered to him to help with his illness. Now what? What what the fuck possible in did did uh, I forget his character uh, the, the uh, butcher yeah. role but mm-hmm. did he survive in the like a, a bout of pneumonia did that did that inf- inform his character because if not you're just you're 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 adding things not in evidence there Daniel right like did you die of pneumonia no you didn't get the authentic experience yeah anyway. Out of Jack and Rose, 2005, he arranged to live separately from his wife, the director of the film, so he could properly experience the isolation of his character. You just got a separate legal separation, mm-hmm. man. Come on. Uh, there will be blood. Insistence to stay in character made a fellow actor leave the production. I actually looked this up, and Paul Thomas Anderson and and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis both deny this. 
Really? The character, this, the, the, the guy who later became played by Paul Dano, the, uh, the, the whatever, the preachers, the, the kid that became the preacher, mm-hmm. he did replace a guy four days before filming started. Uh, or no, four days into filming, but it, I guess it was for some unrelated thing, mm. and uh, he, they had to like refilm several several of the scenes, which that probably pissed Daniel Day Lewis off. Yeah, he also learned to use a real oil mining gear for the role and threw real bowling balls at his co-star Paul Dano in one of the scenes. And Lincoln, he demanded that everyone, including director Steven Spielberg, referred to him as Mr. President. He also would not let English cast members speak to him while trying to get Lincoln's voice right for fear it might throw him off. So there you go. What's your what's your favorite Daniel Day Lewis crazy? Out uh, of those? I think it's the stink bomb. I think the like stink- yeah, <laughs> the cruise- becoming a human stink bomb, stink bomb and Winona Ryder. Right. I-, I feel like that's the most ridiculous of all of them. Hmm. Like you could have done that before the shooting of the film, man. Yeah, it, the other thing is really noticed about this is like he seems like really sprint and drift through his career. Like he goes through these crazy like he'll do five films in three years and then nothing for five years. Yeah, and then you know like I guess that's been or maybe that's just the boxer broke him and he's gotten to be too <laughs> and like he just I I need a couple years between movies now if I want to be continuing doing this shit because yeah he hasn't had any of those crazy prolific periods again. Uh, all right, that was really fascinating. Uh, they also continued, this is, um, I think this is, Mel- yeah, Melanisk says, uh, there will be blood has a very long runtime, but it didn't feel like that for me. It was enthralled by the atmosphere and was just waiting to see the story unfold and what Daniel Day-Lewis would do next. Mm-hmm. While he takes the bigger part of the movie, similar to Heath Ledger and The Dark Knight, the kid actor and Paul Dano in particularly added to the quality of the acting. The soundtrack, cinematography, and dialogue, and some iconic scenes. I've abandoned my child, I'm going to bury you underground, the milkshake bowling scene makes this film... One of my favorites. Agreed. I can't wait to watch this many, many times over the next few years and see if it becomes, you know, Godfather level for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not out of the question. And to say that about a movie in this day and age is surprising. Yeah. Uh, Kim, there's so much to mine from this movie. I trust you and Jim will have plenty to discuss in your review. I want to recommend that you now replace dry pie with you with I will drink your milkshake when you hit some feedback that you've already tapped. I can assure you from personal experience, it's a ton of fun to proclaim when there's appropriate real life moment that applies. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. That's, uh, hmm. Go with a generic drink milkshake versus the show specific dry pie. Probably not going to happen, but I can see the appeal. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could definitely see myself using this line. Maybe if we don't have a dedicated line, we should go. We should just roll with drink your milkshake. Yeah, I like. I can it. see that because I think most people that are watching our, especially the higher end stuff of. Going to be familiar with there will be blood. I thought. Yep. Shame on them. Uh, Bill from uh, Weehawken, New Jersey, which he thought wanted me to take a stab at because apparently I pronounce Hoboken wrong. Oh, okay. Hoboken? Hob- Hoboken. Hoboken. I put the emphasis on the first letter. Hoboken. Hoboken. Okay. But I'm not sure I'm right about that. And let's say New Jersey. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. Awesome, yeah. It just seems Jersey. like pe- here's one of the things that like I don't understand why people say it, but uh-huh. people say it, and it seems to piss off the New Jersey people. It's because so. it's not New York, and it's so close to New York. Also, right, but, it's a dirty, but why dirty doesn't city. why why doesn't Maine and Rhode Island and because uh, they're not trying to be Massachusetts New York. and all that? Oh, so like yeah. New Jersey likes to include like you know right 
Oh, we're just across the river from no, right. but right. it's but it's worlds apart. Right, <laughs> worlds apart. It's the Garden State. Oh, I know. It's, it sounds beautiful. Oh, I bet it is. Going on vacation there uh, on, on the Jersey those, Shore. On the Carl's on the famed Jersey. Jersey Shore. Right, right. Nothing bad about that. <laughs> Throughout the film, it's fairly apparent, uh, Bill says, that Daniel is almost always utilizing a front to hide his true contempt for humanity. But do you think there's a moment in the film where he let his true self out? And I know we talked a bit about this. Uh Um, Bill's opinion is the closest he comes to honesty is his conversation with his brother about his thoughts on people. Yeah, I think so. Other possibilities could be his confession in the church or his showdown with the older uh, H.W., although both of these are so clouded by feelings of personal pain. However, he soberly opened up to Henry, and it was that honesty mixed with betrayal of Henry's deception that led to Henry getting a front row seat to the bandy track drainage system. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, this is something I obviously debated a lot in review, but I think that he got real feelings for his, you know, quote-unquote son, the bastard from the basket, in spite of himself. Right. Which is why the confession actually got to him. And, but then... Like I said, the movie does a really good job of, uh, you know, even him going back and triumphantly getting his son, they couch it as a way to shine on the other oil execs. So it's something that you can certainly debate, where I guess you're right. The things he said to Henry, uh, there was no one else there. There was no reason to make an affect. There was no other ultimate scheme. He was just talking about... And also it jives with what we understand about his character. Like him actually caring yeah. about his son would be a surprise. Him loathing people and not wanting to be around them sounds like exactly something he would like like he would do. So. Yeah, from from day one. I mean he's out there that's he's a prospector. Right. He's not doing it because he loves people. Right. Uh so uh, any other? Th- uh, I'm assuming you don't have any other thoughts, so no, we'll wrap this up with uh, one last shout out to uh, Alina, Arlena V, Ryan Q, Mike M, Britt Bandicoot, the 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 Superman Dean Kane sixty eight, mm-hmm. D Kane sixty eight, Leighton Q or K, the William eighty five, Jamie T, Alex M, Gerard De Lacier, uh, D M Coles, and D Plowery. Thank you very much for making this movie happen. I'm very, very glad that I got another PTA notch on my belt and uh, another uh, Daniel Day-Lewis PTA DDL. Well worth the time investment. I hear one of the feedbackers, I didn't cut it out because it wasn't germane, but I guess they're actually reuniting to work on another film project as we speak. Oh, shit. That I was not able to find a lot of information about in the five minutes. Well, it won't be out for another four years. Right. Daniel Day Lewis has to fucking it's a figure out what it's like to have cirrhosis of the liver or it's something. It's a sequel to Interstellar, and Daniel Day Lewis is convinced <laughs> that he has to solve the equation for gravity uh-huh. before work can begin. Right. So it's really a pisser. It probably won't happen. But uh, he's got to he's got to provide a unifying theory of, of relativity before he can do it. Imagine being cast in Star Wars. Like, would that be exciting or terrifying? Oh man. Like, like he, he's going to get in character as a Sith Lord. He's going to play Snoke. He's going to play the live-action Snoke. <laughs> so he has to... I don't know. Well, what do you do to prepare for that role? He has to get huge. He's got to be <laughs> he's a... He's got to get huge, man. He's got to be a room-sized person. <laughs> right. He's going to play the, the ghost of Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> so he's going to murder children. He has to build his own Star Destroyer. <laughs> he's going to murder children... Learn the Force. Learn uh, the ways of the Force. <laughs> he has to go to Dagobah. 
Uh, all right. Thanks again for all the commissioners. We'll be back with another commission podcast real soon. It's, it's another crowd pleaser. Aliens sure is. is on deck. Uh, we'll we will be hitting that and and uh, you know uh, also a tribute to the uh, late, late great. great Bill Paxton. Yeah, I almost said Bill Pullman, which would have just <laughs> he'll be late great effect. soon uh, enough. <laughs> just we're, we got you on a death watch. Yep. Uh, we'll see you guys later.